Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. And howdy, everybody. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts. We're back with another edition of Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're streaming live to you today from the White Stallion Ranch. And uh, the reason we're out here on the 1st of May instead of the uh, last Saturday of the month is we had some equipment issues last time around. So, uh, hey, we like being at the ranch anyway, so yeah, well, <laughs> we I, are. I, I actually think Harry did it on purpose so he could come back. <laughs> uh, well, of course, I, I was more than willing. Well, you know, the cacti are starting to blossom. So The cacti? Uh, I, I, the cactus? Okay. Well, that's, you're right, but I, I would say cactuses is... Cactuses is... Well, anyway, they're blooming and they're... Uh, not after you've had too many bourbons. <laughs> I'm working on it, Todd. <laughs> not only... They're not the only thing blooming around. Yeah, there. every damn thing is blooming. And, <laughs> as our allergies are testament to. Uh, but anyway, uh, today's program, we're going to do uh, the, the topic that we had originally planned to do for Movie Saturday, which is uh, Larry McMurtry, the author, novelist who passed uh, in March... And uh, uh, novels, screenplay writer, essays, j- jack of all trades, jack, and poet, master of all. A poet in college, and he said he was a terrible poet. <laughs> yeah, so that is the topic of today's program. He he did a, a number of. Uh, Before we get into that, well, right? hang on. He did a number of very important pictures, like The Last Picture Show, HUD. He did Brokeback Mountain, Lonesome Dove, bunches of others. Okay. okay. Well, first of all, I want to. Do a belated happy birthday to Neil Summers. Last Wednesday was his birthday. All right. So, you old fart, happy birthday <laughs> if you're listening. He doesn't listen. I know him. Anyhow, I've got some stuff here that Allison Bunning, who is the historian and uh, archivist for the Empire Ranch Foundation, and she, by the way, she has a very interesting site if you want to look up stuff in the history of Santa Cruz County, of the ranch, and just stuff like that. But she sent me some clippings. Uh, The first clipping is from the Tucson Daily Citizen, uh, May 24th, 1969. And I'm just going to read it as it is. Movie Ranch with Candy Windows is Moody Edition to Empire Ranch near Senoida. And the heading of the article is Building a Ranch and a Town for Lee Marvin. And this is done by Jim Barry, who was a citizen staff writer. There won't be many Arizona cattle in Monty Walsh, the $5 million Lee Marvin movie to be filmed here. Local cattle are just too good looking. The Southwest in the 1890s was ranged by scroungy looking longhorns and Arizona critters don't fit the bill, says Bill Finnegan, movie production, production manager. Oh, by the way, Todd, this is for you. Sufficiently scrawny cattle are being imported from Mexico and New Mexico. Side note, Bill Mundy up from Northern California was the fellow who furnished the cattle. I have a story about that later. Other than Marvin and the cattle, no other cast members have been named for the big budget film by Cinema Center Films making filmmaking subsidiary of CBS. The movie is based on a novel by Jack Schaefer, whose best-known novel, Shane, was made into a modern classic, film classic. It deals with the life of a cowboy who tries to remain his, tries to retail, retain his <laughs> ideas. Well, this printing is weird here. Print's getting weird. close to the paper, is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> so anyhow, it's about a cowboy who tries to retain his ideas and way of life amid steadily encroaching march of civilization. With one eye on the clock, shooting is scheduled to start June 1st. Finnegan and his crew are working rapidly, but taking pains to build authenticity into their sets. For instance, after building a $50,000 ranch scene, I don't like that bad grammar there. I'm the perfect person for bad grammar. After building a $50,000 ranch a few miles east of Sonoida, Finnegan and his people called in Frank Boyce of the Empire Ranch, changing pages here, upon whose land the set was built. Boyce looked over the layout and said the bunkhouse was too close to the main ranch house. So 30 or 40 workers picked up the bunkhouse and moved it further away. They also did the same, this is a side here, they also did the same with the barn. And part of the reason is smell. 
In addition to the ranch headquarters at Sonoida, a complete town with some 20 buildings is being built in the Little Rincons about eight miles west of Benson. Ironically, 35 days will be spent on location at the ranch, but only seven days are programmed for the town set, which costs four times the ranch. And after shooting is over, the $200,000 town will be disposed of. What that means, no one is sure yet. It may be sold as is, leased or torn down and sold for salvage. But deposing of the town of Harmony is the last thing Finnegan is worried about. There is more immediate matters of creating a mood of the town that is going from good to bad times. The bright colors must fade, the people appear a little less cheerful. And there are dozens of little problems. The coaching of a horse to jump through a window, tear around a room and jump back out through the same window. For this stunt alone, a trainer has been working with a horse in Hollywood for nearly two months. For that matter, how do you jump a horse through a window without injuring rider and horse? You make the window out of transparent candy, that's how. And for protection of the animals, the film company will have a humane society represented on location throughout the shooting. There will be 120 actors and crewmen here from Hollywood and another 150 persons here hired locally, in addition to the Sonoida and Mescal Canyon sites. Some of the shooting will be done at, on the soundstage at Old Tucson. And uh, just to add to that uh, 120 actors and 150 people, there's also going to be two kids from California hanging around the set, little guys. Okay, now this is another one here, and this is from the uh, Citizen, uh, April 5, 1974. This has to do with Gunsmoke. Old Tucson, Gunsmoke to shoot here. The cast and crew of the longtime TV series Gunsmoke starts shooting for the record-breaking 20th season at Old Tucson tomorrow. The company has just completed an episode at Happy Valley, set near Vincent, and the Slash Y set at Sonoida. Headed by James Arnest, the two-part episode, Common Charles, I worked on that, and a single segment, The Stringer, I don't know if I worked on that or not, uh, will be filmed here with Gunnar Helston, directing the former and Bernie McAveedy, the latter. Missing from the Gunsmoke action this fall will be Amanda Blake, the Miss Kitty who ran the Long Branch Saloon since the series began in 1955. Tired of commuting from her Phoenix home in Hollywood, she left the series at the end of the last season. The company will be utilizing the soundstage as well as the streets of Old Tucson, which will be open to public filming. And then this last piece here is from 16 March, 1974, still dealing with uh, Gunsmoke, and this is from Phil Strasberg's column. Saturday scooping. We may soon have an inkling of the new guardian of the Long Branch spirits. We're informed that on Tuesday, April 2nd, Gunsmoke will be filming a segment at Bob Shelton's Happy Valley and Slasserai Ranches for three days prior to bringing the trouble to his old Tucson and two weeks of shooting there. Who will it be? Meanwhile, Miss Kitty, our Amanda Blake, tells us some interesting things about her future in Sunday's entertainment pages. Well, you're just going to have to wait for that one because I don't have that. <laughs> and I also want to tell you, if you want to look up stuff, uh, you can go to Allison Bunning. And it's all one word, and I think it's .com. If not, just Google Allison Bunning. And that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N. B-U-N-T-I-N-G. It's A-L-I-S-B-U-N-T-I-N-G. Oh, boy, I was old. It's all right. Oh, my goodness. Oh, oh, it's okay. Oh. <laughs> and that's it. That's the news from Hollywood and Old Tucson and News of the West from Voices of the West. I'll bet that stuff uh, about uh, filming Monty Walsh brought back some memories, huh, Todd? Well, sure. I, you know... <laughs> That was, uh, you know, what I, the, I mean, I remember so many different things from that summer, but the one thing that sticks in my mind, you know, and I've been able to um, answer because of you two, which I um, eternally thank you both for, which is who made my dad's belt buckle? So because of you both and introducing me to Bird Moss, I was able to understand that and, and get to that answer. The second question was, 
you know, where are Walt's, where was Walt's ranch and where, what happened to Walt's boys? Um, he had three boys and he was married and he had a wife. Um, they had Bo, who was 18 that summer of 69. They had another boy who was in the middle, who was about 14, was my brother's age. Uh, and they hung out endlessly. And then there was a younger boy than that, 12. I was always fascinated with them because they had so much land. I think uh, 10,000 acres. Well, at um, one time, the ranch itself, uh, with all its holdings, was a million acres. Well, his, his Walt's ranch was up against also BML land, so it was even bigger. But, you know, he didn't, you know, he had access to all that. But those boys could ri drive around. They, he was 12 years old, he had his own truck. <laughs> and they had so much land, he could drive around on his land without ever leaving it. So he wasn't breaking the law. And it just was fascinating to me. And I, I hung out a lot with Bo my dad hung out a lot with Walt because Walt was his personal driver. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Walt didn't tell us, but he had cancer. And um, he, he, um, his life ended a little bit after that. So I have fond, fond memories of that time. It was a lot of fun. Those guys were real working cowboys. Um, they had a, I saw the moon landing in their living room. And I got, a major, major dose of Johnny Cash while there <laughs> because of them, yeah. and Walt uh, and, the, and the boys. And the important thing is uh, why we asked Todd if he had great memories of that. His dad produced the uh, Monty Walsh, the first Monty Walsh picture as well as the second Monty Walsh picture. And uh, so uh, that, uh, Bobby Roberts uh, was the producer. And uh, yeah. Great stuff. What no, a great no legacy, huh? No question about it. Great That's stuff. A great and a one. great legacy as well. You know, yeah. you know what was neat, too, about reading that stuff is because we're so used to speaking of the town as Mescal and all yeah. that. And I went, I, you know, I was through all of that, through the different changes. It went, it went from being Harmony to uh, the town that was in uh, Dirty Dingus McGee. I can't remember what mm -hmm. they called it then. And it was Happy Valley. It was yeah. It was never Mescal. Right. Because that was a part of the thing, and that was also part of the Empire Ranch at one time. One of the one of their ranches. All right, we're talking. Uh, our topic here is Larry McMurtry, very important Western author. You know, I, I was thinking, you've got to put him in in many ways. You've got to put him in the same group with uh, Owen Weister, uh, Zane Gray, Louis Lemoore. Because all of them wrote books that were landmark books that affected the writing of the West after them. You know, it's a, and it, I would I would agree, hundred percent. Yeah, and you know McMurty, you know, he of all of the ones I mentioned though, he was he is or was probably the most multifaceted because he wrote the modern West, the old West, and he wrote I mean. It would be it would not be out of out of context for him to write a book about an ice cream parlor or a West. Dairy Queen, which he <laughs> did, you know, in the West, because his his world was Texas in the West. Well, the last picture show, I remember seeing that, and uh, I'm thinking, God, this is a boring movie. <laughs> but. I mean, it, and then Shivel uh, <laughs> Shepherd gets on the diving board. Well, that was that's what and made it the, all changed from there. You got that right, sir. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you now. See, for me, growing up in New Mexico, which you know, eastern New Mexico and West Texas, you know, you might as you might as well forget about the only difference is the fence in between the two of them, and. That's the way, and New Mexico is still that way today. Those little towns there, you can go into them, and you can tell exactly what year the town died. Yeah. You go into Grants, it died right after the uranium boom, right. and it still looks like that. Well, and I have a, a, a greater appreciation now for uh, the last picture show when I, I must, what was I, 17, 18 when I saw it, and uh, a much better appreciation for that. As well as uh, his other works, and you know that's that's the third book in his Texas trilogy. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, he had a, he had a, you know, it's amazing about McMurtry is because you don't think about it, but he had, for me, he was very similar to John Ford. He could, and Francis Ford Coppola, who are two directors who, and George Stevens, who can give you as authentic a, a slice of Americana as you've ever had. It's as it's as authentic as, you know, hot dogs, um, chili, and apple pie, baseball. It's real Americana. It's not the 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 shall I say, contrived Americana. It's just real. All that stuff in in Last Picture Show and all the stuff in, of course, Lonesome Dove and and Horseman Passed By, which became HUD. You know, those all are, those people are real. Those are people he saw and he witnessed. He grew up around. He knew some of them he was related to. And he wrote them in such a way, which is, this is another why I feel he's such a master, and I agree with you, Owen Lister, at least he's on that, that level with, is because he wrote about, he wrote people and described them in such a way that the filmmaker could take them and put them on screen, and it translated. Hmm. It had a seamless, it was a seamless process, a seamless journey, a seamless walk from the page to the celluloid film. And they're illustrated just as well. Uh, uh, Jeff Bridges, um, I can see him as plain as day right now. And I went to high school with dozens and dozens of guys like that. In fact, I probably was one of those guys. <laughs> and I relate to him. Haircut. I see him in my real life. I And I, as I also know cowboys who are so much like Woodrow F. Call or like HUD, you know, and like HUD's father and like HUD, HUD's younger, uh, uh, his cousin, um, Brandon Wilde. It's, it's amazing how he was able to do that. And it's amazing also if you think about the fact that 34 Oscar nominations for his writings that went to film with 13 wins. We that, need to go to break, Doug. It's just amazing. Yeah, it certainly it is. Uh, right. Our topic uh, for today is uh, author Larry McMurtry, who passed in March, end of March. You're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We're streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch. <laughs> Indeed he do. We'll be back with much more of the show right after these important messages. Stay tuned. <laughs> Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Hymas Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Coming to you from the great southwestern United States. You're darn tootin'. Yes, sir, Bob. This is the Voices of the West. I made up my mind to change my way and quit the crowd that was so gay and I leave my home for a little while and travel west. Oh, many a mile. We're back on Emil Francis, the Voices of the West. That's the great text writer there. You know, I think he's the, the most authentic of the cowboy voices. I really do. You know, yep. I love them all, but him, him to me, because I, when I was just, I don't know, knee high to a button, my grandma gave me an album with the 78s yep. of Tex Ritter. Yep. And it had, all of them got destroyed but one record. And that record stayed with me for years. And one side was the Phantom White Stallion of Skull Valley, which is a story. He tells it. And then the other is the wreck of old number nine. Can't go he wrong. can wreck well, a train I've, better than I've anybody. Always, I've always just loved the Bob Wills, uh, uh, the name of his band, the Texas Playboys. You know, it just doesn't. It just it just doesn't get any better than that. Well, you know? and Tex, Tex Ritter, the uh, father of actor John Ritter. Yes, indeed. That's right. And John Ritter. Let me just say one thing about uh, Texas Ritter. Tex Ritter, when John went to his dad's funeral, there were just hundreds of people there, and John uh, knew he was going to be shaking hands with people who wanted to give their condolences. But the longest line of people were the people that had to tell John about how their father, his father, had lent them money or helped them start a business or helped them in numerous ways. He said that line was much, much longer. Hmm. It really had an effect on it. Tremendous. Uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about McMurtry. You know, he wrote more than 50 books, you know, and that's, just, you know, that's not counting essays and screenplays and whatnot. Uh, he died at home in Archer City, Texas, which is where he grew up. And Archer City, in the movie, Lost Picture Show, was called Talia. And Talia was, plays in and out of a lot of his stories because he... He really did, like Todd said, he really did play upon his Texas roots. He was a, come from a multi-generational ranch family. In fact, the family still ranches. Uh, he said he wasn't really cut out for it, uh, but he grew up and he obviously, you know, took it all in. Hmm. Now, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, he had 40-plus screenplays. He had a 2014... National Humanities Medal, which was given to him by the president. Now, this is the neat thing. He had the same post office box for nearly 40 years. Isn't that something? Uh, He was a president of Penn for two years in the early 90s. He was a regular contributor to the New York Review of Books. Marcia Carter was his co-owner with Booked Up, which was his bookstore in New York, which ended up in Archer City. That bookstore ended up with something like 600,000 books in it. And he used to brag that he put every book on every shelf. (laughs) And he had, and when he, uh, he sold it off and had a great book sale and it kept it down at six buildings, got down to one building and only 200,000 books. In his personal library at home, he had over 30,000 books. Now, this guy loved books. He's worse than I am. Apparently so. Oh, yeah. Uh, what else have I got here? Oh, it, and his uh, sister, two sisters, was Sue Dean, Sue Dean and Judy McLemore. 
Charlie McMurty is his brother. Uh, he won the Jesse H. Jones Award from the Texas Institute of Letters in 1962 for Horsemen Passbys, later known as HUD. Uh, 1964 Guggenheim Fellow. In, in 73, he won the British Academy of Film and TV Arts Awards and also Academy Award nomination for adaptation of uh, screenplay for Last Picture Show. Yeah, that's just some of the stuff here. I'll get into some more stuff later. Didn't here. he have a, a, was there a bookstore in Tucson that he had? He had a bookstore in Tucson. This was what's neat. I, you know, I told people that, they know. I said, yeah, it, it was on Scott between Congress and Pennington on the west side of the street because I used to go in there and I felt I felt like I was in hollowed ground, literally. He, he was sitting there behind the desk. I never talked to him and I'd just look at books. I never bought a book because these are like antiquarium and you know but I just you know because I love books and you can't walk back by a book rack without stopping and uh, and he, ne- he never said hey get out of here you bum if you're not buying get out I guess he just he said this is guy loves books he's just cheap <laughs> oh bunker that's that's just so unfair of you to say about yourself Oh, it's true. Cheap. No, I would never say that. I, oh, would, yeah. say, you know, I, you know. I would say, Bunker, I'd say that you're thrifty and that you have a fish hook and line into every dollar in your pocket. Okay. But I wouldn't say you're cheap. Yeah, well, you not, know, that's, not, that's, that's very not, nice of you, but I am cheap. He's not a Scott. Well, you, I'll tell you what. I am a, <laughs> I am a Jewish Scottish Scrooge McDuck. Oh, I, I, I am so tight that when I when I... Toss a penny, you know. You chase for, it. it. No, Abe Lincoln screams. Oh, I see. Okay. Some of the well, quotes. You, you, you squeeze the nickel so tight that Jefferson's crying. Um, well, the, the, I will say that, this: the buff, the buffalo does do. It does, it does have a mussy home on the prairie. Some of the quotes. That's important. Some of the quotes. I would also like to, you know, it's amazing about McMurtry is, not that did he just have bookstores, but he supported and antiquarian bookstores oh yeah and he had them and you know the the written word uh you know for us it's the it's the image the film image that that strikes such a chord for us although we do love the written word but that is our gospel his gospel was the written word and he put his money and his efforts and his life were where you know where his mouth was and i think that's very noble and I think it's also important to realize that, you know, he wrote a great book that no one talks about um, called Let's Pretty Boy Floyd. It. He wrote it with Diana Osana, and, uh, who he was dating at the time. And it's just a fabulous portrayal about a, a, a kind of a look into the life of a guy that we think we know from the days of John Dillinger and Bonnie and the Cly- Bonnie and Clyde and so on and so forth, but it's a whole nother. It's just such a deep, deep research into that guy. It's a very interesting character analyzation. I, I I recommend it highly. You know, I want. You mentioned Diana Osana. You know, he met her here in Tucson at a catfish restaurant. Uh, they were having an all you all you can eat night. And that's where he met her. She came up and introduced herself, and and he, he recognized a fellow bibliophile, and you know, and she was, and he, you know, and this is this is what's so cool about him. Uh, he married uh, Ken Kesey's wife after Ken Kesey died, and the three of them lived together, but not not as a not as a trio, but as a man, wife, and friend. Hmm. And uh, you know. It's, it just, it just, yeah. just amazing. But I want to, I want to jump it to 1986 here. That was kind of a, he kind of hit the oil well that year. He won the Pulitzer Prize. He won the Spur. He won the Texas Literary Award, the Southwestern Booksellers Association for uh, Lonesome Dove, and the Barbara McCombs Lawn Tinkle Award from the Texas Institute of Letters. He had a, he had a. Yeah, it just shows you how Lonesome Dove really 
blew the, blew the slats out of the... That, that was a very important book, was it not? As well as a very Extremely. important movie. And, you know, he, he talked... This is, this is what he says about his own book. He says, he says it's, it's, a, it's a good book. It's a, a Gone with the Wind of the West, but it's not a great book. He, this is the, you talk about a man who humility. He never wrote anything that he, he said was great. He said, yeah, it was okay. I liked it, but, you know. Uh, and that's, you know, that's, and, I, and, you know, actually, when you think about it, Boggs is that way. Uh, every writer we've had on the show has been that way. They, yeah. they, none of them go, man. Michael Blake is that way, too. Yeah. 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 No, they're not, they're yeah. not the greatest, yeah. But I would say to you that, that he comes from that older school, you know, like so many great icons of our time, whether they're in film or music or literature or whatever, that, you know, they looked at their job as to create, not to critique of their own work. Yeah. Uh, and not to worry about what the critics had to say about their work. Their job was to make it, and they made it for the public. And if the public enjoyed it, that's all that mattered to them. And um, I think that uh, one thing about McMurtry that is so poignant to me is um, and shows you the depth and, and realism of his work is that Lonesome Dove, you know, not a lot of people know this, but Lonesome Dove was basically produced by Barry Gordy of... Uh, Motown Records. Oh, you're talking he about the, the series. Yeah, the series. He started a film company with his female second-in-command, um, um, being Suzanne DePass. Suzanne DePass yeah. also was married to um, um, John... Uh, oh, God, I forget his name. He played John... He, uh, Paul Lamatt, who played John, uh, John Milner in... Uh, um, um, American Graffiti but you know she is a a woman of mixed race black and Anglo Barry Gordy is a gentleman of black descent and they could read that novel and see that it was something that was <laughs> transcended no matter what the time frame was no matter what the race of people was it didn't matter it spoke to all people in this country, everywhere, it's a true American story of pride. However, you look at it, and she got that film made. And also, it's also important to remember that it was an English director. Yeah. So it couldn't have had a more diverse Actually, it was an Australian group of director. made it happen. It's Australian. Uh, Australian, director. yes, Simon Windsor. So, but it's it's truly amazing how he his his work just was. I people identified with it. They got it. They didn't have to work through it and I think that's a great testament to his ability as a writer you're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West our topic for today is author Larry McMurtry we are uh, streaming live from the White Stallion Ranch <laughs> well we'll do that one one more time <laughs> and we got a giant brindle dog you're standing in the, wandering in, 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 the in the water, back there. In the water fountain. <laughs> Big old dog. Well, find him a feed bag and he'll be fine. Big old ranch dog. Anyway, yeah. we'll be back with much more of the show. Harry Alexander, Todd Roberts, and Bunker to France. We'll be back right after these important words. Stay tuned. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com. 
and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Polash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club dates from 1948 and is now at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. The club owns 80 acres and leases 300 more from Pima County that supports 50 trap fields, 15 ski fields, two five-stand fields, two sporting plays courses with 12 stations each, a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, 200 full-service RV hookups for members, and free Wi-Fi. This expansive facility gives enough room to host major national and international events annually, bringing thousands of people to the community. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSki.com. Hi everyone, it's Susan McRae and welcome to Chaparral Roundup. As you know, I've postponed the March event to October 1st, 2nd, and 3rd so we can all relax, have a great time with great dinners, a great lunch at the White Stallion Ranch, Q&A panels, screenings of a couple of our favorite High Chaparral shows, the documentary of Kent McRae, so we can honor him during his favorite reunion. And we have a great silent auction to benefit the Robert F. Hoy and Kiva Hoy charity at the Tucson Medical Center. If you're already registered for March, you're automatically registered for October. But if you're not, you better register by September 17th. I look forward to seeing you all, and so does Don, with his confessions of an acting cowboy. You'll have fun. See you in October for the Chaparral Roundup at Lodge on the Desert in Tucson, Arizona. Why, those old enemy, Prickly Jack, come to nervous elk. It's Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack Slade. This is the Voices of the West. My favorite movies. Yeah, that's a fun. <laughs> the villain. <laughs> you know that was. I didn't realize it because everybody, everybody told me what a failure that movie was. Come to find out, it was one of the top money makers that year. Oh yeah, hey, it was. You know, it was good. There's no question yeah. about that. Uh, Kirk Douglas, and yeah. Paul Lynn, and as nah, 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 Elk. All the silent stranger. <laughs> well, you know, Handsome I, I stranger. Wanna, I want to. I want to. We were talking about, you know. Kind of the humility. Of, well, let me reset. Oh, reset a, reset the page. A- Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. And we're talking. Heidi Ho. Heidi Ho. And we're talking. We're in about, Los Angeles? No, he is. We're talking. Well, you said you, you meet in Los Angeles. He's in Los Angeles. Bunker, he's just preparing you for the trip out here. That's oh. all. Well, I guess he didn't put a comma in his. In his, it, in it his was, no, he's trying to make it seamless. You'll get on the train, you'll have a a beer, and no, you're going to wake up in no, L.A., and we're going to feed you Mexican he'll, food. He'll fall asleep you're gonna, on the You're going to be so happy, no. you, you won't believe it. <laughs> Anyhow. Anyway, this is the Voices of the <laughs> We're talking about author Larry McMurtry, who passed away March 26. I want to throw a quote out here oh, quote uh, from uh, from Larry. A man, ain't willing to, a man that ain't willing to cheat for a poke... Don't want it bad enough. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I well, think, how how truer words have never been said. Now, here's Let's something. Here's something I wanted to point out because you know, we we were talking about the humility of writers, and it dawned on me that writers, because they're always willing to give a hand and help another writer, mm-hmm. it's just like being behind the shoots at a rodeo. You know the guy. The guy that's up on the next saddle rock. He may be your toughest competitor. He may. It's between you and him, who's going to get the gold buckle? And you're there helping him, and he's there helping you. And that's what's different about this particular lifestyle, lifestyle, yeah. genre, lifestyle, whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was in broadcasting for forty plus years, 
and the egos that <laughs> had to be dealt with, as I'm sure you dealt with egos in the movie biz, as I'm sure Todd dealt with egos in his biz, uh, his dad's biz, as well as in the biz he's in now. Well, you know, there's there's the old saying about uh, actors and seagulls. You know that one, don't you, Todd? Actors and seagulls, they'll both shit on you. <laughs> yeah. And we can well, say that on this. Of program. course, that reminds me of the story of the at the at the uh, at the funeral service for Sam Peckinpah. Uh, Jason Robards walks out of the out of the building where the service was, and he looks out. He comes across Sal Q. Jones, who's standing there, and he's staring up in the sky. And there's a hawk circling, you know, in the above the building, and. He was standing there, and he's just mesmerized by it. And Jason Robarts says, uh, "What are you? What are you looking at?" And he, uh, LQ Gones says, like a five-year-old at Christmas, you know, uh, "Look at that hawk! It, it, it's just circling the building and overhead of us, and it's just—it's so beautiful, and it's almost—you know—it kind of makes me think that that's Sam's spirit, and." And the hawk's going to take it up to heaven. And Elk, and 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 Robard says, "Well, you'll know if it's Sam if it shits on you." <laughs> amen. So, I you know, amen, Barker, amen. But as my father used to say, I I'm not going to mention the actor. But uh, we were talking about actors one day, and I said, you know, he seems like a pretty nice fella. And my dad was making a film with him. And uh, he looked at me like, have I taught you nothing? Have you not been taking notes? Have you not been listening? And I said, he kind of looked at me and he said, what? And I said, well, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, he kind of seems like a nice fellow. Like somebody you maybe, you know, want to have a burger with or something. <laughs> and he said, Todd, I'm going to say this one time and one time only. And hopefully you'll get it. Mm -hmm. He's an actor. He'd sell his mother for a part. Yes. <laughs> and I said, oh. He goes, yes. Don't forget that. Don't ever, ever forget that. He's just an actor. You know, it's And funny. for those of us in our audience who find that offensive for me, just remember that Jack Warner basically had the same feeling. Alfred Hitchcock had the same feeling. And... So did basically all the studio heads have the same feeling. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was still living in California, I, uh, every once in a while I'd, I'd go up to AFI and talk about stunt work and stuff because there's tons of actors that belong to AFI and they have seminars and whatnot. And then you do your Q&A and invariably somebody would always say, well, what do you got to do to get ahead in this business? And I said, well, you got to be willing to push your mother down a flight of stairs. Or get, <laughs> or, or, get up, or get on your knees. Yeah. Well, I want I want right. to talk for a minute about yeah. Lonesome Dove here. Let's go back yes. to that. Good movie. You Great know, movie. It was you know it was a, uh, produced and adapted, uh, and the teleplay was by Bill Whitcliffe, who was who passed away here I think last year or the year before. Uh, it was a great friend of McMurtry's, mm. and he did. McMurtry said he did the probably the best job that could have been done by anybody. And, of course, you've got that great cast. But the story, basically, for those of you who don't know, and if you don't know, I, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> it was two former Texas Rangers lead a trail drive up to Montana. And their crew was the Hat Creek Outfit, which was the ranch that they were from. Now, the novel itself won a Pulitzer Prize. It had 18 Emmy nominations and seven wins won two Golden Globe Awards and was nominated for 17. The, uh, it was uh, actually a five-part miniseries. Now, four of the books were his, and Return to Lonesome Dove was not, had, was not his work or anything to do with it. That was just, that was just CBS capitalizing on, on the immense popularity of it. Was the book better or the movie better? The book is better. Okay. But, you know, but then again, that's two different genres. And this, I think, is this, this, this getting back to the, you know, who, who was the better Rooster Cogburn? Mm -hmm. They were both great because they did different Rooster right, Cogburns. Right, right, right. And, right. 
it's it's two different mediums and you know if you if you only saw the the miniseries you couldn't do better if you only read the book you couldn't do better I've only well seen to make your point uh, uh, bunker I think it's important to realize that that and you're exactly right in the way you describe it you know you have two different audiences you have one who only watched the, the film and the other who only read the book or had that intention but then you have a group in the middle who did both like you and I did mm-hmm. or and Harry as well and so many others but there's things in the book that just can't can't make the jump no. can't make the leap to the film and that for me has always been and always will be the section in the book of Lonesome Dove when they're leading the trail herd and there's that bull who is up ahead who leads the, the herd he's not that big but he is steer. the lead bull steer he's the lead he, he, he runs the show and he's got more piss and vinegar than anybody else and he comes across a grizzly bear out ahead of everybody else at the head of the herd and there is this kind of gladiator fight between that steer and the grizzly bear and that grizzly bear gets a hold of a piece of that hide and rips it from somewhere around the center of his back up forward and Bull, the cook, uh, has to sew him up. Yeah. And how he gets him to stay still is amazing. But that illustrative journey through that scene that you see and experience is just truly, truly poetic stuff and, and can't doesn't make it to the screen, and it would be too expensive to do it. Well, you know, that's that's interesting because it, it got me to thinking about, because, you know, the Lonesome Dove itself, uh, I just want to give you an idea, because there was, the Lonesome Dove was the third book in the series, even though and it was the first one written. The first book was Dead Man's Walk, which is yes. uh, Call and Gus as young men becoming Texas Rangers. The second one was Comanche Moon, and I've got to say that in Comanche Moon, Val Kimmer, uh, as the lead, of, the leader of the uh, Rangers going after, uh, he, I think he exceeded the book. He was like, I mean, I was mesmerized by his performance and the character, and and it was all because of the writing, but it was also the way that he brought that light writing to life. And then the last book was Streets of Laredo. And again, like I said, the uh, return to Lonesome Dove was not part of the original tour. And so I don't even know if there's a written version, a book version of Return to uh, Lonesome Dove. I'm guessing not. Our topic- well, and it's interesting to take into account that, you know, McMurtry used his own personal experiences in life in general. And he was very depressed after his heart surgery. That's when he wrote Streets of Laredo. Mm-hmm. So when the character of Bob commits suicide by hanging himself after his wife has been ravaged by Comanches, even though she survives, he doesn't have the heart to leave her. No. He also doesn't have the strength or heart to be with her again as the man and wife to sleep with her. He can't, he can't do either. So the only decision he comes to is that all the only option he has is to kill himself. And I think that really goes to his depression as a, as an individual in real life after that surgery. And he translated that to that character. And I think it's important that, you know, all great art comes from true experience and uh, expression. And, you know, too, it's, it's, a, it's a thing, you know, people, people think that, you know, in the West there was... These were tough, hardy people. They don't realize what the suicide rate was, especially among women. But, you know, it was the same thing. You, you people would bond in such a way. Mm-hmm. It, you know, oh. it's, it's like the old dog that won't leave the grave. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not to mention the not to mention the 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 drug abuse in the old west. Yeah, laudanum and then opium. Yeah, laudanum took took so many. Not to mention 
of course the 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 death rate um, of of women out on the prairie based on the life they led which was a very hard life you know working all day every day and then you get pregnant and you get to go basically push a child out by yourself you know if you were lucky you might have a neighbor ride over and help you but you know this scene that we see so often in westerns of well, start boiling water and find me towels. Um, you know, it Turn doesn't. Up that petticoat. You know, and yeah, yeah. Rip up the petticoat. Uh, don't worry, I'll buy a new one for you. You know, most husbands, uh, you know, got their pipe and stood out on, on the front porch until they got, you know, the, the wife who just gave birth to yell to them. Mm-hmm. Come in and meet your child. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I want to. Uh, this is this is a before you do, before you do that. We got we got to we're running Let's late here. It. We got to do our last break. Wow. You're in tune with Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, in Los Angeles. And it is Los Todd Angeles. Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Harry. I'm glad and you we just love you guys that. so much here in LA. <laughs> it's a beautiful place, and we miss the both of you. <laughs> we'll be back with much more of our topic, much Larry McMurtry, right after these important messages. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and the Hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. Now Dan was born at an early age in good old New York. 
town. He learned to ride the wildest bronco of them all on the merry-go-round. Six-gun Dan was an old cowhand, a wild and rough galoot. His finger was quicker than your eye could flicker when he started in to shoot. You can't shake a stick at this kind of music. No, I'm sorry. You but you can shake a leg to it. You certainly can shake a leg. That, I think you can cut a rug. The Texas Rangers, man. Good old Six Gun Dan. I love that, too. I want to go back to HUD for a minute. Well, just before, horse, you, just horse, just before you do that. Oh, I know you want to do, re- the, yeah, do the reset. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. Abel Franzi's Voices of the That's West us. with Harry Alexander That's and you. Bunker DeFrance. That's me. And Todd Roberts. That's him. And we're, our topic is uh, author Larry McMurtry, who passed March 26th. I've got a quote, a personal quote that's oh, attributed to quote. him, to, to Larry, that I'd like to read to you. And I think this sums up a lot. Movies have largely lost interest in the character. It is not without significance that two of the most publicized characters in the cinema have been a shark and a mechanical ape. <laughs> Not to mention a Terminator. Yeah. Hey, well, you know, yeah. this is this is. I wanted to, to touch on Hud or Horseman Pass by, because that was one of the things that McMurty his his goal when he wrote Lonesome Dove was to demystify the western, and I think he, the closest he came to it was with Hud or Horseman Pass by, because the character, uh, you know, the uh, Hud Bannon, Paul Newman character. That's the way I, you know, I grew up among cowboys, around cowboys all my life. My working, working career was around cowboys and horsemen, and you know, for some reason, and we, and we're partly guilty of it, of mystifying and glorifying the cowboy. And I would say a good portion of the cowboys I knew were like Hud Bounty. Hmm. In other words, that was like they'd steal your wife, they'd steal your horse, they'd sell your saddle. And slap you on the back and buy you a beer, and that's that's you know that's again it goes back to this this knack that McMurtry had of telling you the way it really was, and then us looking at it and you know, and getting all glassy eyed and teary eyed and and going oh gee that's just so wonderful that the way it was, and it was you know you know it's the real the reality I think. Is sometimes, well, the, the history is much more interesting than than sometimes the uh, fiction of it. Yeah. Well, as true as that is, Bunker, and it's very true, I know what you're talking about, and, and the description of those people, I just, I also feel that there's just as many people who are the other way more as, as they were, the way they were. And, you know, I think it's important to realize that the American cowboy has been, you know, the source of inspiration for many people, authors and filmmakers and songwriters and poets uh, throughout the world and throughout history since they came about and, and, and are what they are. But the one that I always find to be the greatest uh, inspiration to me of what a cowboy is is the fact that Kurosawa, the great Japanese samurai director, Hell of a cowboy. said, "Yes, all my films are Shakespearean dramas, yeah. but they're all set within westerns." And someone once said, "Well, there are no cowboys in Japan. How could they be westerns?" And he said. Well, we didn't have cowboys. We had samurai. And the samurais uh, of the 1600s to the turn of the century of 1900 are the cowboys of America. And that freewheeling spirit of independence and being resolute in their approach to life and not being allowed to be influenced by others you and know, they're going to live their life on their own that's terms a, that's a good, is that's what a it good is. time to mention our founder Emil Franzi because he used to love to tell the story about Dmitry Tiomkin and how people would ask him how can a Russian write such great music about the West and Tiomkin would say the Cossacks and a step is a step meaning a prairie is a prairie. And there you have it. That's our show on uh, Larry McMurtry. 
who passed on March 26. Uh, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West back with you next Saturday when our topic will be uh, the passing of uh, the Rifleman's uh, Johnny Crawford. No, next week is our... our no. We're not doing that? No, we're going to do Johnny Crawford because he just passed. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he just passed, so... Oh. Uh, yeah. Sorry to hear that. And yeah, I worked with him. Pretty much the yeah. name of the tune for our show. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk at you again next time. <laughs> well, 78, 79, 80, and 80 O's and 81 O's. 82 O's. Voices of the West.